I came across James on uh, at the top of the first climb of the race. Okay, uh, interesting. And uh, I said, either you're having a bad day or I'm having a really, really good day. And he said, <laughs> well, I think the fact that you're talking to me suggests I'm having a bad day, which, you know, is harsh but fair. I mean, James mm-hmm. normally would be kicking my ass all over the mountain. Hello friends, welcome to J Talks. I know it's been a long time, but great news is I'm back. Here I am with an inspiring story on Silk Road Mountain Race, and our guest in the house is Neil Copeland. I'm sure this name rings a bell. Neil is a strong ultra cyclist, a wonderful human being, and more importantly, one of the few coaches in the world specialized in ultra cycling. He's my coach, and he's helping many more cyclists explore, experience, and more importantly, excel in the world of ultra cycling. Working with Neil has definitely helped me improve a lot. Talking to Neil about his Silk Road mountain race not only inspired me, but has given me a whole new perspective on ultra cycling. I'm sure you will be inspired with Neil's journey too. Without further ado, let's welcome Neil to this episode. Excellent. So Neil, welcome to J Talks. First of all, I'm so honored to have you here. And at the same time, I'm excited to hear your inspiring and interesting stories from the Silk Road Mountain Race, which I know is actually one of the toughest races in the world. Is that right if I say that Silk Road Mountain Race is one of the toughest races? Yeah, I, I think you can say it's one of the toughest races. There's always, everybody likes to claim their race is the hardest. <laughs> and... I haven't done every race, mm-hmm. uh, but I've certainly done enough to know that this is is up there with one of the, to, you know, with a lot of the toughest races in the world. Some may say it is the toughest race in the world. I think the Tour Divide might have a few things to say about that. And mm-hmm. I keep meaning to talk to some of the people who've done both races uh, okay. just to get their insight as to which actually is the toughest. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I always used to think actually Tour Divide is one of the pinnacle of ultra racing. But after I just had a brief chat with you, I'm just a little bit curious to know actually which one is the toughest race, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I think, yes, certainly Tour Divide is kind of like the OG, uh, the mm. original hard race and it is certainly very very tough from you know the people I've, I've spoken to who've done it um but i think ever since the silk road mountain race appeared on the scene it certainly mm-hmm. lay claim to that title so neil so it's been already three weeks after racing now um yeah it, it has been three weeks um i got back or i finished on the well i want to say the 12th of september uh, no but it was not september it was in august see i'm I already I don't know where the year has gone um, and where my time is going. Yeah, finished uh, around the 23rd or 24th of August. Uh, mm-hmm. So I've been back, uh, back about three weeks uh, and luckily managed to get a week of um, a week of holiday with my wife and her family, which is the first time we've been on a proper lie on the beach holiday for quite mm-hmm. some time now. Amazing. So Neil is just, is just, um definitely uh i know your profile and actually where you come from so uh would you mind actually sharing a bit of information about you yeah sure so uh yeah hi there everybody and hi there jay and thanks for welcoming me onto your podcast uh my name's uh, neil neil copeland i am an ultra cyclist 
and an ultra cycling coach. Um, I've not been doing this all my life, although I have been riding bikes all my life. Uh, I spent most of my career working as a management consultant and was working out in Dubai uh, back at the kind of early 2016 and mm -hmm. for various reasons managed to exit my career uh, working in kind of corporate consultancy and IT and started working as a cycling coach, uh, which was a bit of a major step change in career is probably the For only sure. way of describing it. Um, so yeah, I was living out in Dubai at the time, doing a lot of uh, cycling, a lot of racing. My wife was doing a lot of cycling, a lot of racing, and uh, we came back from a holiday. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to, or we wanted to stay in Dubai because we'd not really been there that long, uh, mm -hmm. but I didn't want to go back into the corporate world. So that it was at that point that I felt there was a market out in, in Dubai and in the Middle East for a cycle coaching company really focused on helping normal people do extraordinary things with their cycling. Um, mm -hmm. It wasn't originally focused around ultra racing, originally launched the business helping people uh, to do the coast to coast race, which okay. for those of you who aren't in Dubai or in the UAE, the coast to coast is, um, it's like the biggest cycling event uh, in the it region. <laughs> And it goes from one side of the of the UAE to the other, and mm -hmm. and you know we started off helping people do that, but then uh, there were kind of like a series of fortuitous events uh, triggered initially by you know my good friend and and a client at the time, Renette Rayner, mm -hmm. uh, a lady from South Africa. She comes to me one day, I think it was in late 2017, going, Neil, 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 there's this ultra race going on in Oman. You have to mm -hmm. go and do it. I've signed up. Uh, and I was, no, I'm not interested. Why would I want to do an ultra race? That sounds like mm -hmm. a stupid thing to go and do. No, not interested. But she was she was a clever woman and she knew that if she got me to say yes, then I would probably give her better advice as to how to do the, to do the race herself. So she kept okay. going on at me and going on at me until eventually mm -hmm. I said, oh, all right, then I'm going to go and do it. So the next thing I know, we go to Oman and we do the biking man race there. And okay. it was, well, the only way of describing it was as a life-changing experience. And a lot of people, a lot of people keep saying to me after events like mm -hmm. Transcontinental, uh, Silk Road, they say, oh, was that life-changing? And mm -hmm. the answer is, it was good. It was incredible. It was a, a very, very special and unique experience, but... Mm -hmm it's hard for something to be truly life-changing and, and actually for me it was that first ultra race in a man that was truly life-changing because that then triggered um just getting deeper and deeper involved in the world mm -hmm. of long distance cycling i did all the nice. biking man events that year including inca divide uh, mm -hmm. biking man taiwan biking man corsica then wow. the next year went on to do the transcontinental race, uh, which okay. I've now done twice. And, you know, since then got more into uh, the off-world ultra cycling world. Uh, mm -hmm. So I've done the Great British Divide, Great British Escapades, Dales Divide, and then started to get into Nelson's races, which again, for those people in the ultra world, uh, the off-road ultra world, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the very mention of a Nelson Trees race can bring uh shivers to the spine and and cause your mm -hmm. knees to go weak but um so i did atlas mountain race last year and then nice. silk road this year uh and what i found is as i went through this journey of my own ultra cycling mm -hmm. more and more people were starting to come to me from a coaching perspective saying you know i, I understand you can coach people for ultra cycling and pretty soon that became my specialization which 
you know, is, is really interesting because as you'll know from the events you've done this year, the physical side of getting ready for an ultra race is just one small part of it. Correct. The real challenge is in logistics, is in mm-hmm. eating, is in sleep management, mm-hmm. it's in pacing strategies, yeah. it's in route planning, route plotting, mm-hmm. managing resupply, all these things. Um make it an incredibly incredible or an incredibly difficult Mm -hmm. style of bike racing to undertake and there's no there's no book on it there's no manual out there so from our perspective as coaches we Mm -hmm. have to talk from a point of view of experience we have to go and do these races we have to gain the experience we have Mm -hmm. to see what the best in the world are doing so that that translates into solid advice to to our coaching clients impressive i'm 100 percent you know uh, so honored to have you here neil and uh, you know very much looking forward to hear all your stories about your last race so you if i'm not mistaken you were a management consultant then you just went for one race in oman so how long you took from that race to become a coach so I was already coaching at the time. Uh, I started mm. coaching in uh, May of 2017, and I did my first ultra race in January or February mm. of 2018. And, you know, that progression, the people I was coaching in Dubai, they were coming to me after their events. And I, and the one I particularly remember is there's there's uh, a guy that I coach in Dubai called Chris, uh, Chris Cameron. He okay. had just successfully finished Mallorca 312 which is a big road cycling event if anyone's into their road riding they they know about Mallorca 312 and we sat down after that event and I said so Chris what's next he said he just looked at me and he said I want to do what you're doing I want to go and do an ultra race and that was (laughs) that was happening more and more and that helped me develop my skills as a coach specific to ultra cycling Mm -hmm. and then as uh, interestingly, as I went, as we went into lockdown during COVID, uh, that's when for me business expanded more globally. Um, I started mm-hmm. talking to clients across the world who mm-hmm. were coming to me. A lot of that yeah. came through the podcast that I was doing with a good friend of mine, Robbie, uh, who was mm-hmm. also doing a lot of ultra cycling at the time. That's how I got the word out, and uh, and that's how that aspect. Uh, progressed and developed nice so neil so it's been three weeks after your race so how are you feeling well a week on holiday in corsica really really helped and certainly for some of you may have seen photos taken during the Absolutely. race there's, <laughs> there's there's one particular photo that was taken of me on day 10 of the race and um to say i look thin is probably an understatement i looked skeletal <laughs> and i'm pleased to say i have put all that weight back on and I, I, you know what? I feel great. Yeah. I always come in, come back from these kind of races feeling just a renewed sense of enthusiasm for everything mm-hmm. I'm doing uh, with the coaching, with the cycling. I think it's because you spend so much time just in your own head, reflecting mm-hmm. on you know where you've come from, what what yeah. you've achieved that year, where yeah. you want to take things forwards, and. Mm-hmm. Kind of this time that's coincided with just some really exciting developments going on with mm-hmm. the coaching business. Um, we launched, uh, I, along with another coach, uh, another well known ultra coach, Yasmin Muller, we launched Dot Booster last year, or mm-hmm. sorry, yeah. earlier on this year, which is ultra racing specific training camps. 
Yeah. Yasmin and I have just sat down a few days ago to talk about the next iteration of that and how we take that forward as a business. Super, Amazing. super excited about that. Mm-hmm. I'm just about to uh, sign the lease on a uh, studio workshop space, which will allow me to expand the bike fitting side of what I do. Fabulous. So it's all, it's just, yeah, you know, everything's kind of coming together at the right time. Nice. I have all this kind of enthusiasm and motivation after coming back from Kyrgyzstan. So yeah, I feel great. You know, I feel brilliant. I was actually talking to Johnny, I think last week that um, I was actually telling Johnny that I was literally in tears to see you when you were at the finish line, because we were actually closely watching your dot. And um, by seeing the picture you shared, I remember I even asked you, Neil, did you go for a war or you actually went to the race, you know, because like you were absolutely skinny after the race. What a massive achievement. Once again, congratulations, Neil. I'm so happy to see you over there. <laughs> yeah, thank you. It's it was a good one to it was a good one to finish, that's for sure. Absolutely. So what it takes to sign up for such events and more importantly, what it takes to be a finisher for this type of races need. For a race like Silk Road or, you know, for Silk Road in particular, um, I, I think it's important to help people understand, you know, what the Silk Road race is and why why it's so challenging and, and what's so hard about it, what makes it potentially mm-hmm. the hardest race in the world. So uh, the Silk Road Mountain Race is the uh, the brainchild of Nelson Trees. Uh, Nelson is an experienced ultra racer. He'd done the Transcontinental um, a, a couple of times, I think. He wanted to create a a, a very hard race uh, mm-hmm. and something that could be considered the hardest race in the world. And he was looking for a location for it. He went to Kyrgyzstan, did some some exploratory trips there, did some riding mm-hmm. around there and really felt that this was the right location for for a race, for the race that he had a vision of. And, you know, anyone who's done one of his races will know that when you do a Nelson Trees race, you are in for a very thorough examination of your skills as a as an off-road uh, bikepacking racer. Mm-hmm. There are frequent sections of hike bike. Um, the terrain is always super, super challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, the sp- then there's the specifics around doing a race in Kyrgyzstan. Okay. Kyrgyzstan is very different to what most people are used to. You know, Mm -hmm. you kind of, you fly in from Dubai into Kyrgyzstan, you're in for a bit of a shock because, Mm -hmm. you know, there's no air-conditioned taxis and malls everywhere. Uh, Resupply is really, really difficult. Mm -hmm. The terrain is harsh and unforgiving. Uh, On the race route, there are five, in particular, five really committing and at times terrifying sections of hiker bike where okay. you, know, you are off your bike and pushing it and dragging it and carrying it over boulders and rocks <laughs> uh oh the God. elevation mm-hmm. presents challenges the the height is anywhere between a thousand meters above sea level and four thousand meters above sea level wow riding your bike at you know above three thousand meters is is no joke it's it's hard mm-hmm. the the weather is challenging uh, the weather um, ranged from plus 40, so mm-hmm. kind of what you experience in, in the summer in Dubai, mm-hmm. uh, down to minus 10, wow. uh, which is <laughs> cold. Uh, we okay. had rain, we had snow, we had headwinds, I got sunburnt, mm-hmm. uh, I had hail, you know, so you get every single kind of weather thrown at you. Resupply is hard. Sometimes mm-hmm. you're going two to three days in between seeing any form of shop or somewhere to buy food. Mm-hmm. So that that 
poses some challenges and and then just the the you know the length and severity of the ride it's 1800 no hang on how long is it uh just under 1900 kilometers mm-hmm. pretty Eight. much all off road so mm-hmm. on dirt trails rough tracks talked about the hiker bike uh, and a total ascent of around 30,000 meters of climbing which i think to put that in a context for you jay mm-hmm. is we did more climbing in 1900 kilometers than you yeah. did on 4000 kilometers going to north cape <laughs> i can imagine actually when you told me about all uh, hiking the bike and uh, the challenges you've gone through wow it's uh, i don't know it's 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 like too far for me you know so but again um I, I, you know i think that's possibly that you know one of the challenges is about getting your mindset right going into yeah. a race like this because i yeah. think if you come into it thinking this is a bike race yeah the minute you realize Absolutely. you have to carry your bike for three or four hours up mm-hmm. uh, up what seems like an impossible mountain pass mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. starts to play with your mind it plays with your mindset I think Mm. I knew all along that that was the case. So I went in thinking this is not necessarily a bike race. This is an Mm. adventure race. It is, (laughs) uh, it's, it's a challenge of getting from the start to the finish. Sometimes you're on a bike and the bike is the best tool for the job. Quite Mm. a few times you're walking by your bike and (laughs) you're wondering why on earth you've got your bike with you, but you have to kind of take all of that as it's an integral part of Mm -hmm. the adventure that you're undertaking, you know, when you do the Silk Road mountain race. Yeah. So will you consider this as a life-changing experience, Neil? No, not really. Not not for me. Okay. For the reasons I talked about before. Mm-hmm. I This was my 25th race. I've done hard okay. races before. Mm-hmm. You know, none quite as hard as this. Mm-hmm. But it was nothing unexpected. Okay. It pretty much gave me what I was expecting to find on the race. And it pretty much delivered what I was expecting to see and feel. And mm-hmm. that's not because... It, it wasn't incredible. It was an incredible experience, but mm-hmm. I, this is what I do for a living. So I was well prepped. I was okay. well researched. Um, mm-hmm. I'd been to Kyrgyzstan before. So, you know, for those reasons, it wasn't quite the life changing experience for me as it might mm-hmm. be for others who, you know, were to go and do that race. I'm pretty sure for some people mm-hmm. doing that race, it was a life changing experience. But, okay. you know, I look for me, I look back at a man and look ha- at how that Mm-hmm. genuinely changed my the course of my life uh-huh. that was a life-changing experience was it as hard as silk road no not at all mm-hmm. um was i pushed as hard no not at all um it wasn't as long it was two and a half days mm-hmm. but that did change the course of my life whereas silk road was another step along that journey oh. don't get me wrong mm-hmm. silk road is probably the best experience i've ever had on a bike it was okay. in fact i'm not not even probably i don't even know why i'm saying probably it was the best race I've done. Okay. It was the most exciting, mm-hmm. the most challenging, in the most spectacular background. So, you know, in that in that perspective, you know, in that respect, it was absolutely an incredible, wonderful, joyous experience. Mm-hmm. But it nice. wasn't life changing because my life is my life is pretty amazing. My life was pretty amazing <laughs> six weeks ago. I've done uh-huh. Silk Road. And it's still pretty amazing. <laughs> you know, the course of life hasn't changed. Amazing. So, Neil, um, you were talking about the preparation and you actually mentioned that you actually prepared so well for this race. So what is 
what is that uh, or maybe um, how was your training and preparation for this race? So I think to properly answer that question, I have to go all the way back to when I first heard of the race. Okay. And that was back in the summer of 2018. I think I'd just come back from doing the Inca Divide. Mm-hmm which was at the time incredibly, incredibly hard. Um, That goes even higher. That goes to like 5,000 meters of altitude, but it's predominantly road-based. And uh, a good friend of mine, Kerry, suddenly started sending me links to this race in in this country called Kyrgyzstan, which I'd Mm -hmm. not really heard of. And she was talking about this race called the Silk Road Mountain Race. And we followed it avidly through that first edition in 2018. And it, it was kind of from that day that the whole myth of the Kegarty Pass started, which, you know, for anybody who's done Silk Road or has followed Silk Road, the mm-hmm. Kegarty Pass is like, it's, it's, it's like the marquee climb that you do, climb, walk, drag, uh, it, you know, it's, it, it, we were following these people going over it and seeing the pictures come back and it was amazing. And I knew that day that I had to go and do this race that one day I would go and, and be on the start line. But at that time, I I think I knew that I didn't have the experience or the skills to get around the race. Mm-hmm. And I certainly didn't feel that I would have been ready to do it the following year. So, you know, the preparation goes all the way back to then. Mm-hmm. And the accumulation of skills and experience, the understanding of the equipment, uh, the ongoing development of your your risk assessment in the high mountains, your ability mm-hmm. to stay safe in the high mountains. Um, so yeah, so the kind of the, the training and the preparation dates all the way back to that first uh, that first event in 2018, and then in 2019, uh, I I had the good fortune to take a small group of coaching clients to Kyrgyzstan, and we did uh, four days, four or five days okay. of bike packing there. Mm-hmm. up to Sonkul Lake and that started to give me an idea of what the country was like mm-hmm. what conditions could be like um so that was kind of then the next stage mm-hmm. i think um the the preparation closer to the event like the specific training and the specifics of the equipment readiness mm-hmm. That probably started as soon as I came back from Transcontinental last year. So Transcontinental last year was my last big road event. Mm-hmm. And the minute I got back from that, everything was focused on the Silk Road Mountain the Race. Okay. So mm-hmm. um, the training started, um, I kind of finished off the 2022 season uh, with Atlas Mountain Race, which was okay. actually another key stepping stone on the mm-hmm. road to, to Silk Road because... You know, that uh, it's another Nelson Trees event. It's hard. It's committing. There's a lot of kind of interesting challenges around resupply, specifically mm-hmm. around water. Um, so it was, a, it was a great event in terms of preparation. Uh, and I came back from that, had uh, three to four weeks of off-season. And for me, off-season is really, really important. Off-season is when you completely rest and reset as an ultra-athlete. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had four weeks completely off the bike. And then I came out to Dubai kind of mid, mid-November and that triggered the start of my training for the Silk Road Mountain Race okay. in, uh, in August of, of the next year. So in, in August of this year. Um, mm-hmm. So there, yeah, there's lots of different, interesting, different elements of the training. So there's, there's the physiological readiness mm-hmm. and that, mm-hmm. was, uh, that was a nine-month training program uh, mm-hmm. to get me physically ready to go and ride the Silk Road Mountain Race. Factored into that were specific events that I targeted to help me get the right experience, Mm -hmm. to get the right race training load, 
So, yeah. you know, my events this year have all been geared around doing the Silk Road Mountain Race. So in uh, at Easter, I did the Dales, did the Dales mm-hmm. Divide in the UK, 600 kilometers, classic British mountain biking terrain. Mm-hmm. Uh, for okay. anyone who's mountain biked for any length of time in the in the UK, riding through the Yorkshire Dales, riding through the North York Moors, mm-hmm. it's it's classic. So I did that at Easter, and then June I did the Trans Balkans race, which was oh, I'll probably get this wrong, but I think it was like fifteen hundred, fourteen hundred kilometers uh, mm-hmm. through Slovenia, Croatia, Bosnia, and Montenegro. Okay, and. You know, that was excellent preparation for the Silk Road Mountain Race. A lot of the trails were very similar mm-hmm. to what I'd find in, in Kyrgyzstan. The resupply was challenging in parts. Uh, the weather was definitely challenging. And uh, it, it just, yeah, the whole experience was like a mini version that really helped, you know, get me ready. And then my final race in the UK was Dorset Divide, which just helped. Again, off-road, terrible weather, mm-hmm. just helps you mentally get ready for the kind of experience you're going to have in, in Kyrgyzstan. But then there's also the other really interesting aspect of getting ready for a race like this, which is around equipment. Mm-hmm. You okay. are having to deal with temperatures between plus 40 and minus 10. Yeah. Now, the plus 40... Yeah, you know, once you've taken most of your, of your clothes off and put sunscreen on, mm-hmm. there's not a lot you can do. But when you it's might get, you know, when you get minus, exactly, when you get <laughs> minus 10 and snowstorms yeah. and river crossings yeah. and having to sleep out overnight at three and a half thousand meters of altitude, mm-hmm. you have to trust your kit. You have to yeah. be able to rely on your kit. You have to know it inside out. And that took quite a bit of getting ready. So um let's first of all the bike yeah. and I, i've seen there's there's been a movement in the off-road ultra world over the last kind of two or three years i think generally people have started to realize that gravel bikes whilst they're fun and they make great bikes don't get me wrong i have a gravel bike and i absolutely love it mm-hmm. 99 times out of 100 they are not the right bike for an off-road event mm-hmm. regardless okay. of how easy that off-road event is it mm-hmm. has to be a really really easy off-road event for me not to want to take a full suspension mountain bike mm-hmm. now in kyrgyzstan i would say the majority of the riders were on hardtails But there's definitely more progression towards people being on full suspension. I was there on a 120 mil travel full suspension Mm -hmm. bike. Sofian Toheli, who won for the third time, he was on a full suspension bike this time. And, you know, quite a few other riders were. Um, I don't think anybody in the top 20 was on a gravel bike. And a lot of the people at the end on gravel bikes were Mm -hmm. in quite a lot of pain uh, from just the repeated battering it gets. So Mm -hmm. I I had to sort out a bike because I didn't have, you know, when I did Atlas Mountain Race last year, I was on a a drop bar hardtail and I knew I knew I needed more than that. So I have to give a big shout out to uh, to Omar and the guys at Edge Cycling in Dubai. He he came through and helped me out with with the bike, which is uh, an allied BC40 amazing it's were it is so good it's just so so good it's it's and this is like this is why i say to people don't even think about gravel bike because Mm -hmm. when you get to the it's when you get to the downhill you see people on gravel bikes and they're clinging on for dear life and their eyeballs are out on stalks (laughs) as they're desperately trying to get down in one piece and it looks painful and it is painful i've done it It it's 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 (laughs) fast and it rattles you and it's horrible you do the same thing on 
a bike like mine yeah. and you sit down, you relax and you yeah. go full send. Mm-hmm. And it is such an amazing experience. Like one of the highlights for me in the whole race was the descent from Kegarty because as I said, Kegarty Pass, that's, that yeah. is, if, if you ask somebody, tell me about one climb on the Silk Road Mountain Race, I would say nine times out of 10, they'll say Kegarty Pass. Mm-hmm. The other time they'll say the old Soviet road, but we can come back to that one. You okay. know, Kegarty Pass has this, you know, it's it has this status. And I knew that I wanted to really, really go after the descent hard and try and get the Strava com. And I did. And you got that, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, <laughs> I, I think uh, as much as I'd like to say that was me, that was more uh-huh. down to the bike because okay. the bike was just able to, when you're on a full suspension bike, you just, you can ride over anything and you can go so fast and in so much control and have so much fun. So yeah, so that that was kind of like the first key component was getting the bike ready, getting the bike sorted, mm-hmm. testing that out on races, yeah. making sure that I had everything dialed in. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were, you know, after doing the first race, there were some, you know, I more changes to be made. I went from mechanical to electronic gears. Uh, I went from a two piston brake to a four piston brake at the front to help with braking. I went to ergonomic grips to help with manage kind of ulnar nerve compression Mm -hmm. Uh, but that you know soon got dialed in but then you know the next bit of kit to look at is your sleep system yeah and it's kind of hard to test out sleep systems that are going to work at minus 10 unless you're living somewhere where it regularly goes to minus 10 and even in the uk it doesn't Mm -hmm. really go to minus 10 so you know for me i I had to be really quite focused over the winter through january and february we had a couple of weeks here in the uk where it got down to minus three minus four degrees Mm -hmm. and i would turn around to my wife on those nights and say i'll see you later laura i'm (laughs) riding up i'm riding up to the south downs and i'm going to wild camp on the south downs so that i can test out equipment so i was testing out my tent i was testing out sleeping bags testing out sleeping mats testing out the stove and the food because you, you've got to get all of that right. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's easy to think it's just uh, you get some kit and then you you train and, and you're there, but you, you, your training takes on way more than just riding your bike. You're, mm-hmm. you're looking at all these aspects of kit selection. You need mm-hmm. to know that your kit will work in those temperatures. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that, that you know, that it's was the process, important part. Right? It, it is a process. And, and to be honest, I was still making equipment changes with two weeks to go. So I think the two big changes I made with two weeks to go that worked really, really well. Mm-hmm. I swapped out my light from an exposure strata. Yeah which is uh, an excellent road light. It's mm-hmm. fantastic. I used it on TCR last yeah, year. Yeah. It's a superb light. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I swapped that for an exposure six pack. And the six pack is their biggest, baddest off-road <laughs> light. Um, when it's on full whack, okay. it's like it's like having the sun mounted on your handlebars. Mm-hmm. But what it allowed me to do was it allowed me to go six to seven days without needing to charge it up. So you know, everyone's okay. there going, oh, you know, you need a dynamo, you need this, you need that. And you, mm-hmm. you don't need a dynamo at all. Yeah, yeah. I was able to go uh, with my power bank and light setup. I was able to go seven mm-hmm. or eight days between needing to plug in. So, uh, and also I was able to then turn it up to full sun on the handlebars mode if I needed to, which which was mm-hmm. great. And then the second thing I changed at the last minute was I switched from uh, an Endura waterproof mountain bike jacket to a seven mesh one, mainly because I wanted to get one that was actually Gore-Tex rather than mm-hmm. 
something else and okay. seven mesh all of their stuff is, is all of their waterproofs are made out of Gore-Tex. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I got their Sky Pilot, which is their active shell. And you know what? That was a fantastic bit of kit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, two weeks to go and still I'm changing the kit that changing I'm taking. Okay. Mm-hmm. Actually, Neil, thanks for sharing these things because initially when, when you actually told me that this is not the toughest race, um, or probably in fact, if someone is listening to this conversation, they would have, I mean, this would have given a bit of misunderstanding to people, right? But if you look at it, um, you've been actually preparing for this for almost for five years. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I would say so. So you took, it took, it took so much of time, so much of understanding, so much of everything to prepare for this race, right? So yeah, I don't have actually words to say at all. But again, once again, massive congratulations on your achievement. <laughs> Thank you, Jay. Uh, Neil, again, uh, you were actually mentioning about the high altitude and uh, particularly I learned this uh, that sleeping at higher altitude is always a difficult part, right? So uh, how did you manage your sleeping? So I think doing anything at high altitude is is difficult and pretty much every rider on the race spent five to seven days before the race uh, getting acclimatized to the altitude. So I flew mm-hmm. in uh, with one of my clients who, who I'd been coaching for the race, uh, mm-hmm. also called Neil. Uh, we flew in a week before the event and spent time up at altitude um, kick-starting that acclimatization process. So, you know, as soon as you start to deprive your body of oxygen it will start to you know develop more or create more red blood cells to improve your your oxygen carrying ability Mm -hmm. uh so you know so that's the first key step i knew with this event that sleep would be important and i kind of promised myself that i would get four and a half hours sleep every night Mm -hmm. whereas often on events you're cutting that down to three hours a night so when i did atlas Mm -hmm. mountain race i think i averaged three hours 20 minutes a night Mm -hmm. when i did tcr yeah i had a few issues with dog bites which meant i did the odd kind of longer night sleep but and there were quite a few nights where i was only getting three hours sleep on there whereas on the silk road i knew that i had to prioritize sleep um so i would yeah i would give myself four and a half hours minimum every night i think mm-hmm. the other key thing is is just around knowing your sleep kit knowing your tent being comfortable in it being confident in it and i you know i've slept in that setup quite a lot so i had i, w- I was never cold uh, i was never uncomfortable at night and i generally got really really good sleep mm-hmm. okay yeah thanks to all the trainings you have done <laughs> yeah i, I, I th- not necessarily specific training but mm-hmm. just being accustomed to it being accustomed to sleeping mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere being accustomed to sleeping in your tent uh it, it's it's you know I've, I've used the same or a similar setup certainly the same tent setup for uh, 18 months now the sleeping mm-hmm. bag changes according to the temperature and yeah. the silk road. I did have to get a specific mm-hmm. or I did have to get a new sleeping bag that would keep me warmer in the, in the colder conditions, but you just, you you know, you get used to it. And it, it, for me, it feels like a little home away from home. So I always felt comfortable sleeping and, and yeah, got, got some good sleep. But uh, did you find any hotels at all or it was all camping all night? So yeah, no, I found some guest houses. Um, mm-hmm. So the first night in Enelcheck, which is this incredible abandoned mining town, uh, mm-hmm. it used to be such a busy place, mm-hmm. and now it's almost deserted. I think there's something like thirty families live there now. Very few shops, but 
but some some guest houses. So the first night I managed to get a guest house, which was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, then two nights sleeping sleeping rough. Then I had mechanical issues, which meant I had to get back to Bishkek. And you know what? If you're going to have to go back to Bishkek for 24 hours, you make the most of it. So mm-hmm. I got myself a nice hotel, which had an awesome buffet breakfast, which I wow. overdosed <laughs> on the next morning. <laughs> And then, and then back back onto the race route. Another two nights in, in while camping. Then I got mm-hmm. to Beethov, where I found a guest house, and and that was just a case of you know you get to this town, you're pretty sure mm-hmm. it's going to have guest houses. You might have checked it out on Google Maps and seen a few guest houses. So I just then open up the tracker. So the on races like this, there's always a tracking website. We all carry satellite trackers, which ping your location every 10 minutes to a centralized server, which then Mm -hmm. shows your location on a map. And so when I get to a town, I will often look at the map and see where the other riders are. Okay. And Mm -hmm. you see that there's four riders all around this one guest house. Okay. Mm -hmm. That is probably a good place to go. So I'll go and check that place out. So... I did, and they had a room, and I got the last room, and I had a very nice night's nice. sleep. Uh, and then I think after that, I had one more night in a guest house on the penultimate mm. night, which was it was the most incredible experience. And I think it just summarizes everything that's great about the mm-hmm. Kyrgyz hospitality. Yeah. So I this was the penultimate day, and I'd had a terrible day. It was one of those days where you wake up and you know from the very beginning that you've got mm. nothing in your legs. And, I, and I'm okay. sure you have you will have experienced this on Northgate Four Thousand. <laughs> Your legs are empty and the whole day was a struggle. Mm. Now, the advantage I have is I've done this so many times before. I I knew exactly what was happening Mm -hmm. and I knew that I needed to get some proper food that night Mm because it was food related. I just, it's hard to get on enough calories when you're on a race Mm -hmm. like this. So I knew that I needed proper food and I, I knew that I needed a good night's sleep. So I got to this town and I found this guest house on Google Maps and I rode to the front door and it didn't look like a guest house. It just looked like somebody's house. Okay. And then, and then this woman came to the gate and I started talking to her and well, talking we yeah. we communicated through the medium of Google Translate. Okay. And uh, it, that was my next question, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Google Translate works really, really well. The, you know, yeah. the, the pretty much the the main language out there is Russian, and my okay. Russian mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. is pretty terrible. And <laughs> and and it turned out that this guest house was still being built, but they had one room that had just been finished. Mm-hmm. So yes, they were they they had a room. And yes, they had a shower. Yes, they had a washing machine. Yes, they could do food. And and it was it was absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Within an hour and a half, I'd had a shower, washed all my clothes properly, got them out to dry, put everything on to charge. And I was sat down having this wonderful homemade Kyrgyz dinner. And, nice. and so I ate that. I ate more. And then they... I said to the, so it was a, a mother, her daughter and her grandmother, mm-hmm. her mother. Mm-hmm. So mother, daughter, grandmother. And uh, I said, look, I'm leaving very early in the morning, okay. probably around 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. Would you be able to leave some food out for me to eat for breakfast? Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. We will get up. We will get up at half past three and cook you breakfast. And wow. so they got, up at, they got up at <laughs> half past three to cook me fried eggs and give me bread wow. and jam and make me coffee. Mm-hmm. And it was it was just incredible, and that kind of 
teed me up for the last day, which was was magical because mm-hmm. it was in this remote uh, remote national park. And when I say remote, you know the scenery, the scale of the scenery out there mm-hmm. is is nothing like nothing you've ever seen before. It's just it's epic. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you've, you're riding and you're riding and you're riding and you ride for seven hours and you get to the final turn and you cross this oh. river and yeah. you're on the last climb. Mm-hmm. And then you're pushing your bike for five hours to get to the top. Wow. Because it's steep. There mm-hmm. are landslides. You're mm-hmm. dragging your bike over rocks and debris and you're looking going, where do we go? I, you know, I can't see. Mm-hmm. Where, how do we get out of here? And then mm-hmm. finally, you see the very, very top. You see this glacier hanging over the mountain. And then just to the left of it, at nearly 4,000 meters, you see wow. the top of the pass that you're heading for. And you look up and you just go, oh, how am I going to ask? <laughs> I've been walking for three out three and a half hours and it still looks Jeez. four hours away. Yeah, luckily it wasn't it was about forty-five minutes away, but then you know mm-hmm. you get up a little bit further and then it starts raining. So you start mm-hmm. putting all your wet weather kit on and then you get up a little bit further and the rain turns to snow and you come over the top of this last pass and the snow is coming down wow. and you just at that point I was so happy because I'd had the full Silk Road experience. Wow, it sounds so amazing, Neil. Uh, again, uh, this this race is a fixed route or it's actually uh, you make your own route? It's fixed route. Uh, mm. I think it's, I've yet to see an off-road ultra do a free routing. Mm-hmm. I think it would okay. just be, it, it would be impossible under, the, under normal circumstances. I think mm-hmm. with someone like Kyrgyzstan, it's always going to be a fixed route. Um, but that allows okay. Nelson to let his inner demon loose <laughs> and terrify uh, us riders with some of the things he's asking us to do. Okay. So, Neil, um, how many people were there in the race this year? So there were, if memory serves me correctly, there were around 110 to 120 solo riders okay. and probably around 30 pairs or okay. 30 pair riders, so 15 pairs, 30 riders. Mm-hmm. I've been actually following a couple of riders. Um, I know this uh, French rider, Natalie. I think she won the ladies, uh, I mean, the women category, she, I think. Uh, she finished joint first um, with... Um, Peggy. Peggy, Peggy who... Yeah, Peggy, I know from Trans-Balkans. So Peggy mm. won Trans-Balkans this year. Okay. And Natalie was second female in Trans-Balkans last year. So okay. they, they had an... They had an epic race. They really did. Mm. They were knocking each other to pieces through most of the race. And then Mm. I think Peggy came across Natalie on the last climb. Natalie had smashed her rear derailleur off. Mm. And Peggy just said, this is, you know, I don't want to win because you've had a mechanical. And they they rode into the finish together, which I think is is a heartwarming story. Yeah. About the ultra cycling community after some of the other things that have happened this year. Mm hmm. And also, I've seen also some of the top riders like Manu and uh, James Hayden got actually scratched in the race as well, right? Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I know both of them because they're all uh, we're all uh, Tailfin R and D. We're all mm-hmm. the Tailfin R and D team. Yeah. I came across James on uh, at the top of the first climb of the race. Okay, uh, interesting. And uh, I said, either you're having a bad day or I'm having a really, really good day. And he said, <laughs> well, I think the fact that you're talking to me suggests I'm having a bad day, which you know is harsh but fair. I mean, James mm-hmm. normally would be kicking my ass all over the mountain and mm-hmm. and he had yeah he struggled at the start and i think you know he then had breathing issues with the altitude mm-hmm. yeah um yeah. and and this is 
this is how altitude gets you. You know, he's mm-hmm. finished this race twice before. Yeah. So he knows what it's like at altitude. He can race this thing at altitude. You know, last year he came second in this race mm-hmm. after an epic battle with uh, with Sofiane. Uh, mm-hmm. And this year just didn't quite go right. Um, Manu, I bumped into Manu Catrice. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's another really, really strong, strong, strong off-road, uh, off-road rider. He's, uh, I think he came... I want to say third in the Tour Divide last year. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Um, uh, he's also uh, done really well at Hope 1000. I think, did he win Hope 1000 um, one year? Mm-hmm. Super, super strong rider. I yeah. bumped into him in Narin, and I'm like, dude, what are you doing here? And he, he'd mm-hmm. ha- he'd crashed on one of the uh, one of the river crossings up mm-hmm. by the Chinese border, yeah. and yeah. you know, cracked rib mm-hmm. out of the race. So Ugh. you know, it's it's a tough race, and and, and yeah. I think that's that's the thing. I think anyone who's doing, I think the hardest thing for people new to ultra racing is to come to terms with the fact that failure is fairly common. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think when you've done this for any any length of time, yeah. we all embrace failure failure is going to happen it's nothing to run away from it's nothing to be ashamed of yeah uh it is an incredible learning experience uh failure is the best teacher and uh it you know it happens to Uh, all of us i remember what you told me as well right because um when i had a two months of actually surgery break and uh I was going to defer the North Cape 4000, but uh, you are the only person who told me, no, just go ahead and do the race. Uh, you will come with a bag of experience. And also, I remember you told me that actually scratching is part of any racing. So don't worry about scratching. Scratching <laughs> is life. You know, it happens. Uh, I I had or heard a really, really good quote uh, a few months back. I can't remember where I heard it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember if it was if it was cycling related or not, but basically someone said you either win or you learn. Okay, which I think Absolutely. is an, an incredibly powerful, powerful statement. It when is. we win, mm-hmm. when everything goes right, yeah, you don't tend to learn as much mm-hmm. because everything's gone right, and it's when things go wrong that you really learn. So you win or you learn. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's a that's a great motto for life, I think, because it allows nice. us to be more accepting of yeah. the not winning of things going wrong it allows us to see it for yeah. the uh, the opportunity that it is it's like actually nothing fails like success right <laughs> yeah yeah similar to those lines <laughs> nothing nothing succeeds like failure you know you come back stronger from these things you, you yeah. learn and you grow mm-hmm. and and you come back and you succeed the next time yeah for sure neil i just got one very important question that you used to ask me for the last one year. What did you eat? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so probably a bit of context for the listeners. So I've been coaching Jay for the last uh, the last year. And I'm going to extend this actually because I've just had another very interesting conversation with somebody. Okay. And the, the hardest thing in ultra racing, both during a race and... Off during the, the ride and off the bike is to eat enough food and it's something that jay and i have worked on <laughs> a lot in this last year and it's challenging it's challenging to try and eat the right amounts it's challenging to eat the right kinds of foods it's challenging to manage all the other issues that come with food that you know that we know about um and interesting i've just yeah, I've just got off the phone earlier on today uh, after a chat with Marianne Thiessen-Smits, who mm-hmm. is a good friend of mine. 
We've done quite a few races together and she is an exercise nutritionist. So she okay. works she works with uh, predominantly female athletes, but she does work with all kinds of athletes. And I remember once asking her the question, okay, so you, you I think at the time she was working with 20 female clients who all want to lose weight. And I said, how many are not eating enough? How, like, how many of your 20 clients are not eating enough food? And she said, every single one. I'm having to tell every single one to eat more food. If you are not fueling your riding or fueling your training, you are on a fast track to burnout, overtraining, collapsing motivation, energy levels. It's, it's crazy. Um, and, and we were talking today and I said, do you still have this problem? And she said, yeah, literally nobody is eating enough um you know when i'm doing peak training weeks for me might be 25 hours of riding mm -hmm. if i'm doing 25 hours of riding then i need to be eating four to four and a half thousand calories a day mm -hmm. that wow. is a huge amount of food and that's just to keep that's just to keep my calorie intake matching my calorie output mm -hmm. um so when you then turn up to a race like silk road yeah it makes it incredibly, incredibly challenging because resupply is, is hard to find. Mm -hmm. You might be trying to find a yurt camp, which might be able to give you a bowl of soup. Mm -hmm. You're getting into shops and you're trying to buy as much food as you can, but you don't know what it all is. Yeah, It's, it's hard. And, and I knew that it would be a struggle to eat enough calories. So mm -hmm. one of the things I did before going into the race was I didn't worry about my weight or mm -hmm. to be more precise, I worried if my weight was too low because I knew I needed to go in with weight to lose mm -hmm. uh, because lose it, I did. Um, so in terms of what did I eat? I ate a lot of chocolate bars. I ate a lot of sweets. Yeah. Uh, I took six dehydrated meals with me, uh, which were okay. each a thousand calories. So I took a stove. Mm -hmm. So every night when I camped, I was able to heat up some water and have okay. a hot meal. Uh, mm -hmm. and you know, the, the benefits of that were far beyond just the thousand calories of, uh, of food intake. It was also, you, you know, mentally you feel so much better when you've mm -hmm. had a hot meal just before going to bed. Yeah. So that, that was, that, that was such a bonus. And then whenever I could, you know, whenever I was in a town, I would try and get food. Uh, so I would eat, yeah, noodles, ramen, mm -hmm. um, kurdak is like the local, the national dish, which is basically fried potatoes and lamb with some onions okay. and a bit of sauce, which was actually really, really nice. But mm -hmm. then, you know, when you go to, you know, when you go to the race, a lot of people, a lot of people say, don't eat the meat because, mm -hmm. you know, the meat is what's likely to give you stomach upset. Okay. So many yeah. people scratch due to kind of, uh, diarrhea and vomiting, dysentery, food poisoning e issues, e coli, okay. mm -hmm. yeah, all kinds mm -hmm. of stomach issues. Now, I did take, uh, I took some high strength probiotics uh, two okay. week, for the two weeks before I went and whilst I was there and, and on the race. Mm -hmm. um, it's a sample size of one. So who knows whether it genuinely made a difference or not, but I, I managed to avoid getting sick. Mm -hmm. But I did struggle to eat enough food. And there's a photo of me uh, that was taken by Nils, the... The, the photographer on the course and he took it on day 10 and oh, yeah. I look ill. I just look, yeah. my rib, my ribs are poking through. There's just, my face is all <laughs> that shrunk. Picture says it all. <laughs> yeah. So I lost, uh, well, I lost like five to six kilos of weight during the race. That's it. No, I think, I think it's actually even more actually. 
I mean, from the picture you're actually talking about, it looks like you lost probably 20 kilos. <laughs> no, 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 not that much. Not that much. Okay. Uh, I was able to get into my favorite skinny jeans when I got back, uh-huh. which I can usually only get into for about one After month the of the year, every two years. <laughs> uh, then I'm slim enough to get into them. And uh, you know what? Already I tried them on this afternoon and I can't get into them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So Neil, so um, how many calories you consumed every day and uh, how many calories you lost, do you think? Oh, so I was probably consuming four to 5,000 calories and probably burning eight to 9,000 calories. Roughly. How many hours of riding every day? So I think I was averaging around 14 hours a day riding time, okay. like 14 hours a day moving mm-hmm. time on the bike. Okay. Wow, interesting. It, it, do you know what? It's mm-hmm. it's a bit easier out there because you don't get to a town in France in the morning and find a bakery <laughs> which is serving croissants and coffee. So, you know, it's it, instead you have to stop and fill up your camelback from a mountain stream uh, and then, you know, eat eat a, 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 a melted and then refrozen Snickers bar. You know, there's there's less opportunity to stop. This sounds very familiar to me. <laughs> well, yes, I didn't. I didn't want to say anything, Jay. But I remember I coach knows everything. I know everywhere Absolutely. you stopped on North Cape Four Thousand. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you know everything, Neil. For sure, one hundred percent. Again, Neil. Like, I mean, uh, how long did you take to recover from this uh, hard race? And um, what is your best advice when it comes to recovery after such a hard race? So, I don't think it's taken too long, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I got back. I, I had four days uh, at the finish after the race, where literally I was sleeping ten hours a day. I was eating mm-hmm. six to seven meals a day. We won't talk about the beer consumed. Um, and then I got home, I had a week, I had like five days at home again, Mm -hmm. just sleeping lots, um, Mm -hmm. eating, you know, trying to get back to a healthy diet, um, eating lots. And then, and then I had a week of holiday. And, uh, so, you know, my wife and I took our bikes to Corsica. We, you know, got back on the bike and I felt pretty recovered. I I did a, I did a 20, 20 minute power test and did pretty good um and when i look at it in the context of the temperature it was about 40 degrees when i did it mm-hmm. and and yeah. that will really hurt your power output it, you know it was up there with some of the best 20 minute powers i've done so mm-hmm. you know recovery's gone pretty well but i you know the more of these you do yeah. the easier the recovery gets you know i've, I've okay. probably done sixty thousand kilometers of racing and that's a lot of kilometers in the legs so it, it does make recovery easier so yeah, feel good. Uh, I'm going to take the next two or three weeks of continuing to just ride mm-hmm. as and when I feel like it. Um, hopefully get out on the mountain bike to the trail center, get the enduro tires back on and really work on those descending skills. Mm-hmm. And and then probably get back to serious training at the start of uh, the start of October. Nice. So when you said actually 60,000 kilometers on your leg, so actually what's the what's the time period you're talking about? Is it like, I mean, in, in two years, three years? So that's 60,000 kilometers of racing. I think in the last five years, so which is six seasons, I would say that's I've massive. done around uh, 110,000 kilometers. That's a lot. I mean, 60,000 kilometers is only the racing, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe 50. And plus something, the training. Something. Something around that, yeah. Uh, I'm going to have a look at Strava now and just uh, see. Uh, and and obviously, was... Strava isn't everything. Yeah. 
in the last. But also remember, if it's not on Starway, it's not there. Oh? It didn't happen. Yeah. It didn't happen. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, where am I? I need to remember how to use Strava now. <laughs> yeah, it is. So this year, uh, in 2023, I've spent 605 hours on the bike. Okay. Wow. And that's 10,000 kilometers. I would say my di- my distances this year are lower than normal because I've done more off-road okay. uh, and, yeah, and less uh, road riding. Uh, yeah, and the more climbing. You know, so mm-hmm. compared to last year, last year I did uh, 800 hours of riding mm-hmm. and uh, 16,000 kilometers. I'm just trying to have a look at mine, actually. <laughs> and, a, and a total elevation gain last year of 181,000 meters. What's that? That's quite a few times Everest, isn't it? That's like 20 mm-hmm. times up and down Everest. Wow. Okay. Interesting. I've done so far actually 515 hours of uh, riding this year with 11,000 kilometers. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I think my best year was uh, was in Dubai. I had a really good year when I was in Dubai for oh, the yeah? first year. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So Neil, uh, just, um, I'm actually very curious to ask this question. Um, and also, I wanted to also take this opportunity to thank you as well, because, you know, I've been actually training with you for the last one year. I think if I'm not mistaken, I started training with you from last August. Uh, we started with Tour of Neil Greece, and then we added uh, a race around Rwanda, and then the North Cape 4000, you know. So there is there is like one thing that I learned from you that, that helps me survive the um, ultra racing is eating, right? So if you didn't train me to eat, I would have not probably probably done, done this race successfully. So first of all, thank you so much for all your guidance. Thank you for being my coach because without you, these races wouldn't be possible at all. Um, and also, um, you've been there with me throughout my races, which means whenever I was down, you always used to send me text messages, Jay, keep moving, keep moving, don't break, keep moving. So my question to you is, whenever people like me race, you are there. When you were out there, who was with you and actually what was the source of inspiration for you? Geez, that's a deep and meaningful question, isn't it? It is. Uh, I was actually thinking about this question for the last two days. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, it's, I, no, it's know, true, I think, right? I, yeah, no, 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 it's, it's true. It's, <laughs> it's like that's such a thought-provoking question because you think a lot, you know, you think about family. Mm-hmm. I reflect, you know, I think about my wife a lot mm-hmm. and she's a lot of the inspiration and she's the motivator as well. Mm-hmm. I There are two particular stories that come to mind, which I think just indicate how much she drives me forwards and pushes me forwards. Mm-hmm. I remember on the Inca Divide getting to a town at three o'clock in the morning on the Pacific Highway and... Uh, oh, sorry, the Pan American Highway. And I was destroyed. I, mm-hmm. I was racing to the finish. I was going through the night. It was where it was miserable the road was awful the road was dangerous and i got to this town and i texted my wife and said i just need i just need to stop for 10 minutes i just need to put my head down and she just said no you don't you just need to eat go and eat what have you got mm-hmm. i was like i've got two chocolate bars and a caffeine tablet right mm-hmm. eat, eat a chocolate bar in 20 minutes and then a caffeine tablet an hour after that and then an hour after that you eat your last snickers and then you finish the race mm-hmm. go get it done and it was it was the <laughs> It, it was exactly the, sounds the rea- like my coach to me. Rea- no, exactly. Yeah, no, no, I know, I know. And then, 
I remember on Transcontinental last year, I was in a McDonald's in Zagreb. Mm-hmm. And again, I knew I was about to ride quite deep into the night, probably till one, two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. It was going to go in, it was going into a really kind of remote and dead part of Croatia where there was nothing, you know, there was no, mm-hmm. no chance of a hotel, no chance of further resupply. It was just going to be a long, lonely ride into the night and I was yeah. struggling mentally with it I was struggling mm-hmm. with you know I was like I, I just wasn't wasn't feeling comfortable with it and she just again she told me what not what I wanted to hear but what I needed to hear which was look some people have to get up on a Monday morning to go to work okay this is your Monday morning this is your job now go out and go to work and <laughs> you know again it was just the mm-hmm. it was the motivation that I needed but you know so my wife is just such a a driving force behind everything that I, that I do here. Uh, she mm-hmm. keeps me keeps me grounded, keeps me sane, and like I say, gives me those words of motivation that I need to hear. But I have mm-hmm. to say, the other thing is 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 you guys or my clients. You know, one of the best things about what what we we do is is we have this incredible community of riders, and so you know, for mm-hmm. everybody who co- who's being coached by me at the moment, and most of my former clients as well. We have a Discord server where we yeah. provide a lot of yeah. support to each other. and It's an amazing and, platform, to be honest. Huh? <laughs> yeah, and it, it, it's an amazing platform, but it's you're an amazing bunch of people and you all you all cheer each other on and you certainly cheer me on. You you know, the feedback I get, the comments I get, it, mm. it just helps keep you going. Inspiring. <laughs> Thank you, Neil. I mean, uh, what can I say? I can I can probably say on behalf of all your clients, I think I think we all are so proud to have you as a coach. And thank you so much for all you do. Oh, you know what? It's I feel very lucky to do what I do because mm-hmm. I get to you know I I have a small part in helping people do some pretty incredible things, and that is incredibly rewarding. Oh, you got to be proud of yourself, Neil. Honestly, if I'm you are of, not there, I don't know. I'm proud if of you guys. There, oh thank you, you guys, so much you guys turn the pedals i just <laughs> i just help a little bit with that you're too humble as always <laughs> thank you again for all you do neil so neil uh how do you think 2023 overall for you it was awesome it was brilliant it's probably probably my best year yet both in terms yeah. of what what i achieved with my riding but yeah. also what what we achieved with uh with the uh with you guys uh with mm. all my riders We've had some fantastic. Uh, we've had some fantastic results this year mm-hmm. uh, with podiums in quite a few races, wins in a race, and but also, it's, and it's not just about that. It's about the people finishing against all odds. So you know, seeing you finish Northgate four thousand, seeing Johnny finish Northgate four thousand, seeing you know Nadine battle to the end of Transibirica, seeing Neil. Do That's Silk so Road. inspiring. Yeah, seeing <laughs> Neil finish Silk Road as his first yeah. ever race. Um, yeah, yeah. Seeing Alex come back from a really disappointing year last year and and just smash it this year. Uh, yeah. Seeing Yako again, mm. similar kind of disappointments last year, came back and got fifth at Pankeltic. Wow. Uh, Adam won Cotswold 200 the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, and loads of other I stories. I can see the smile people. on your face. <laughs> just loads of stories of people just achieving stuff. And it, like I say, it doesn't. It's not necessarily races. I don't just coach ultra races. Yeah. I'm speaking to uh, you know one of my clients, Elsa, earlier, and we mm-hmm. just talked about some of the things that she's overcome and some of the challenges that she faced with cycling. Mm-hmm. And we we just talked through a recent trip that she had. 
and just listening mm. to how her how she's managed to grow and develop this year it's just mm. these these are just all awesome things and you realize that you're uh yeah you, you you can have a bit of an impact which is which is amazing so this year has been great and i've had a great year i've i've felt it's gone well and you know now we're going into to 2024 and and there's just yeah more as i mentioned mm. earlier on in the show there's so many more exciting things to come yeah so do you feel that this job is giving you a 10 out of 10 job satisfaction comparing to the management consultant? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's two different jobs. Yeah, yeah totally, totally. totally so it's a, it's a really interesting thing. I'll often have people come to me who I'm coaching go, and they'll say, I can ride more, I can train harder, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can do more workload. And mm-hmm. you you have to turn around to them and say, yeah, but you can't sleep anymore mm-hmm. and you're struggling to manage the stress levels that are coming in from other parts of your life. Mm-hmm. If you can't manage sleep and if you can't manage stress, then mm-hmm. you're always going to be limited around or there's always going to be a limiter on the effect of training because the body can only take so much stress. Yeah, yeah. I am in this incredibly lucky position that I have almost zero stress and I can sleep nine hours mm-hmm. a day. Um, annoys, annoys Laura something <laughs> rotten because I'll <laughs> talk about how I had a great nap on the sofa at lunchtime with the dog. <laughs> and I think sometimes she's just going to clout me around the ear and say, yeah. go, go to work and get a proper job. <laughs> Interesting. So Neil, so what's next for you? Um, <clears throat> race wise, uh, my next race is going to be a bit different. I am doing something called Strathpuffer in January, which is a 24 hour mountain bike race. So okay. a very, very traditional 24 hour mountain bike race. It's mm-hmm. like a 12 kilometer circuit. And you, the goal is to do as many laps of that as you can in 24 hours. Only it's in January in scotland so there's only going to be uh i think six hours of daylight okay 18 hours of dark it's most likely to be raining or snowing the weather's going to be absolutely awful Mm. and i can't wait i'm really excited about it uh and then next year um i've traveled a lot i've traveled a lot this year i've flown Mm. quite a lot this year I've spent a lot of time away from the family this year. So the goal next year is to uh, be a bit more present. Uh, I'm going to try and not fly next year. So my races will, will all be much more local. Um, okay. And the plans seem to be firming up. Um, so uh, late May, so just after the next Dot Booster Camp, uh, I'm going to be doing a race called the Headstock 500, which is a 500-kilometer off-road race around South Wales, okay. which is an incredible part of the world to to ride a mountain bike. It's, it's just, it's outstanding. Uh, then June, I'm going to be doing something called the, uh, summer solstice sprint, which is in North Wales or from the Midlands in England up into North Wales and back, Mm -hmm. uh, which is back on the road, which will be fun. And, uh, you know, I had a couple of clients do that last year and they raved about it. So yeah, really, really excited about that. And then, uh, hopefully August, I'm going to go back and have another go at the great British divide, probably the short course this time. So I'm not away mm-hmm. from home very often, or I'm not away from home as much. Uh, and then hopefully at the end of the year, uh, Katie Jane Lapinier is, uh, organizing a new race called the Alps divide, okay. which goes from off-road from Nice to Geneva. And mm-hmm. that just has a lot of, um, meaning for me. I lived in the Alps 
a bit. I studied in Grenoble for a year when I was at university. Mm-hmm. Um, I did the Hope Route from Geneva to Nice, which is a road okay. event going the other way. So yeah, I'm I'm really excited by that event. Oh, it looks like your calendar is full for next year. I know, I know. And then, <laughs> and then hopefully 2025 will be a return to Kyrgyzstan and the Silk Road Mountain Race. Interesting. So that's going to be for 2025, you said? I think so, yes. Um, but do you have any plans of trying to divide or anything in the US? No, doesn't interest me. No? No, I, okay. it, just, it just doesn't It doesn't interest me. Okay. And that's, that's cool. I'm happy with that. I, I, it, who knows? <laughs> that might change. Okay. Uh, it, it might... It might interest me one day. I might decide that it's something that I need to tick off. Mm-hmm. Um, at the moment, it's not something that's on on my agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see. Never say never. Okay. Neil, I think um, I, I I just got this t- two interesting questions as a closing remark. One is it just it just popped up into my mind right now as we speak. Uh, you know, uh, this is like one of the toughest races for so many people in the world, and uh, there are top races in the world who actually scratch the races at the same time there are people like Sofian who actually wins the race for consistently for the last four years so what do you think makes Sofian to be a winner for this kind of tough races and uh, how do you see that as a coach uh, what makes uh, Sofian unique rider when it comes to these kind of races I think when it comes to Silk Road he <clears throat> knows Kyrgyzstan better than any other rider on that start line okay um, and it's not just the three years that he's raced it he's toured Kyrgyzstan like just on a bike tour uh he's toured it in winter mm-hmm. so you know that's that's an experience with the the country with the people with the culture that is is invaluable I mean you know yes he is incredibly fast as well uh mm-hmm. he's an incredibly talented rider but he knows he knows when to stay and he knows when to go he mm-hmm. He was making just sensible decisions all the way through the race. And when you lay that on top of his 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 experience in the race, his pace, his ability mm-hmm. to keep pushing uh, day after day after day, I, you know, I think when it comes to Silk Road, he is pretty much unstoppable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's some been some interesting performances this year. So Ulrich winning Tour Divide was, was yeah. a phenomenal performance and then finishing l'esprit de girona the other week oh sorry the l'esprit yeah. de bikepacking the other week which mm-hmm. is is a super hard route set by james hayden mm-hmm. uh so auric was the first person ever to finish that in a in a time that that even james thought was impossible um i think justin ass will have learned a lot this year uh he's he's raced hard yeah but i but i think he's Hope, I think he's learned a lot about his racecraft this year. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be great to see those three. And, uh, you know, you can't really talk about the state of, of ultra racing and off-road ultra racing at the moment without talking about Lachlan Morton's mm-hmm. uh, ride on the, the Tour Divide route. So yeah. Lachlan Morton, um, he is a pro rider for EF Education. So mm-hmm. I think he's ridden the Giro. Um, he now does a lot of what he calls the alternative program. And, mm-hmm. and he's, he's an, I think out of all of the pro pro peloton riders taking on ultra races, yeah. he's interesting because he gets it the most. It, okay. It's not just that he's a fast rider. He just understands what ultra racing is and what it's about. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to see them all go head to head on mm. Silk Road next year or Tour Divide next year, I think it would be 
just an incredible, incredible race. Um, mm. And I'd love to see, I'd, uh, I'd love to see the likes of Sofiane and Ulrich get pushed hard by Lachlan. And I'd like mm. to see how Lachlan could do going up against those guys. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be interesting not watching next year, probably. It's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. So Neil, uh, what what is what is one advice that you would uh, or probably what is one life experience that you would share to the existing ultra cyclist and the wannabe ultra cyclist? Hmm. I mean, from the coaching perspective and from the ultra cyclist perspective. I, you know, I think I think so much of what this gives you is a deeper understanding of yourself. Mm-hmm. You learn about yourself when you go and do these races. You learn about what what you're capable of. And Mm -hmm. I think we're all capable of far more than we give ourselves credit. And, you know, if there's you, the the best thing you can be is try and get as comfortable in your own head as you can be. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, I think a lot of people scratch from these races because they're not really aware of how much time they have to spend in their own head alone, Mm -hmm. riding the bike. You know, Mm -hmm. you, you get on your bike at four o'clock in the morning and you know you're still going to be there 16 hours later on your bike Mm -hmm. riding and get becoming at one with that or becoming good with that that's that's the key thing excellent neil i can't be thankful enough uh, for spending a valuable time with me today thank you so much once again for being here talk to you soon yeah thanks jay It's it's a pleasure to to come and talk to you pleasure to talk about my experiences on the silk road uh and obviously if anybody listening wants to know more uh or wants to get in touch about coaching and what we can do then then do come and find me on instagram at neil copeland uh, neil spelled n-i-e-l i'm sure this will be in the show notes right 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent. i i have to get the shameless plug in somewhere no 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 no, no, no it's, but seriously I mean, I'm sure. it's been a pleasure to talk to you uh pleasure to share my experiences and and hopefully even if just like one person out there is now inspired to go and have a look at silk road and and give it a go then you, you know go go because it is the most incredible incredible country with the most incredible incredible people yes it's hard yes it's cold yes you'll get wet uh but you will have the most incredible experience and and hopefully a life-changing experience Mm -hmm. thank you thank you so much again uh, neil and uh, you have a fabulous evening i talk to you soon thank you very much inspiring isn't it if you feel like exploring your life potential simply do it as i said earlier there are lots of interesting and inspiring stories around us stay tuned and watch the space for more interesting stories once again you being here means the world to me thank you so much just to remind you you are truly amazing you are truly loved and stay blessed as always